Well, we're uh, continuously moving into this series about neighboring, and we've been talking about what it means uh, to, to really catapult off of the great commandment. Everybody remember what the great commandment is, to love the Lord God with just about every, well, with everything that there is about us, you know, mind, spirit, everything that there is about us, but also that we are called to love our neighbor as who? Ourself. And sometimes it's hard to love ourselves, isn't it? Sometimes I think that that's one of the, bound, or one of the hindrances of, of being a good neighbor. In fact, um, if we're going to be honest this morning, we'll find out that there are uh, lots of little things that stand in our way, uh, barriers I call them, that stand in our way and in, in, uh, that, that kind of puts us in a peculiar place where, where God's work in us may not be to its greatest fulfillment because we've got our hang-ups and habits and the kinds of things that are, that are going on around us. So, so Jesus' words, love your neighbor, um, I want us to think in the context today of that Jesus literally is meaning your neighbor. So whether you live in a housing development, a, an apartment or a condo complex or a manufactured home a community, I want you to think about what it would mean for you and for me uh, to love our neighbor to love our neighbor and to love our neighbor as ourself and to engage in that kind of, of relationship. Um, well, see, uh, Luke 6.41 really starts off uh, where I want to go today. And, and Jesus talks about a parable, and, and, and evidently what's going on is that somebody is picking at the, the gnat, the little speck of dust wrong in someone else's life and being very judgmental about that. So Jesus, like he does with great metaphors and God's teaching, um, I brought in a smaller stick. I'm having back trouble, so I brought in a little one today. I wanted to bring in like a really big telephone pole, but uh, the insurance handlers and everybody else said I couldn't. But anyway, but, but I want you to think about this. Think about what he says. You're, you're picking out the speck in that person's life, but you have this in clear view of who you are. So it puts things in perspective, I think, uh, with, with where we want to go today and precisely with the significance of, of this particular teaching. Now, now here's, here's Bob Martin's um, Good Neighbor translation, because I think what happens is that we get caught up in other people's issues, we get caught up in the things that we don't like about what other people are saying or doing, and we forget about the fact that we have our own junk as well. Would you agree with that? Everybody, we all have our own stuff, don't we? I mean, if, you, if you're here today saying, well, I don't have any stuff, I don't have any issues, then, then you know what? Then, then you're in the wrong church because we're a church filled with broken people. And that's why we need the Lord. That's why we need a Savior uh, because we're not perfect. So, so sometimes our junk gets in the way. But So here's, here's kind of my uh, spinoff of a good neighbor translation. Don't, don't complain about your neighbor's barking dog when you're caught yelling at your kids all the time outside. Uh, here's another one. Don't, don't throw a fit about the kid's little scooter that's at the end of the driveway, and as you pull your car out, you're, you're frantically thinking it's going to damage your bumper when you still have your Christmas lights up and it's not even the Christmas season. Uh, why do you worry about the dead plants in your neighbor's yard when you've got a car jacked up on blocks in your driveway? Uh, you know, so sometimes, I mean, these are kind of silly things, but, but you know, I, I want us to laugh a little bit because it brings into a, a more 
um, clear focus, I think, with, with some of the issues. So, so why do we worry about the gnat or the speck in our neighbor's eyes when we have this huge log that's in our own? And, and at some point in time, we, we really need to have the kind of heart that we can look at our neighbor and say, that I know that you have stuff going on and I know that there are things about your life that are out of control and you need some grace. But I need you, neighbor, to remember that I do too. And I need some grace as well. So, so what, what would it look like if, if we moved away from um, seeing people as labels? That if we moved away from seeing people as homeless or divorced or mental health problems or recipients of food stamps? What if we didn't see people as old or too young? But what if we actually saw people as people? What if we could train our minds to not go through those labels and hang-ups of things that we so often find ourselves labeling each other with, but that we actually saw each other as people, that we actually saw each other as persons of God's creation? And the significance that would come with that, we, we, we don't want to just look at our neighbors, but we, we want to see them. We want to see them for who they are, that they are children of God, that they are created by God, and that they are wonderful people. But, but here, here's so often what happens, though. And, and I find this in my life, too. So I'm not, you know, throwing the, the, the gnat at you and seeing the log in my own eye. I see the log in my eye. But, but here's a couple of examples of things that we do where we label, like, well, that's my neighbor, the one with the old car. Or we see a group of people together in public, and, and, and we gravitate toward uh, the black guy over there in the crowd rather than the guy over there in the crowd. Or, or we might say, man, did you see that crazy guy on Missouri Avenue talking to himself, waiting for the bus again? You see, we label stuff. And we, and we, we forget that we are people, that, that we are God's children, and that God created us for that. So when we begin to see people as people, when, we be able, when we're able to start seeing that people have forlorn faces, that, that they are people with struggles just like that we have struggles, when we begin to see the kids at school that have bad shoes and remember that there was a time when we had bad shoes, when we begin to see people who are troubled in our communities and in our neighborhoods and in our world, then we can begin to start relating a little bit more and saying, you know what, they're not so far off themselves, are they? Because I've been there myself. We see our neighbors and they, we go into their homes and we see the stack of bills piled up on the kitchen counter. And maybe as we're struggling with that, we find ourselves wondering about, wow, I have a stack of bills that I've got to pay too. But you see, we've got to recall that our members have goals, they have aspirations, they have things that they want to accomplish, just like we. And we need to find ourselves in that. So, so in our neighborhoods, we, we see neighbors that are rich in homes, but poor in family. And we begin, as we begin to get to know them, we begin to see things become a little bit more real that aren't so superfluous that are out there. Now, at St. Paul, we really want to get to know our neighbors, don't we? We've been talking about this. This is part of our strategic initiatives as we move into our community in a five-mile radius of our church to introduce the love and relationship of Jesus Christ to over 20,000 persons and also to be a part of finding ways to dismantle the system that causes all of the ways of poverty around us, emotional, spiritual, economic, relational. And we want to be a part of this, and we want to move into our community. And we realize that as we move into our community that we're seeing people just like we. 
People who struggle every day. People who don't have it all together. Seeing people as people isn't, isn't easy to do, is it? And, and let's, uh, let's kind of be forthright again this morning. There's some people that we know that are just plain annoying. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, you know, there are people that are annoying, but you know what? They're, they're annoying because we're allowing them to be annoying to us. And we're not seeing them for who they are. And I'm so grateful, I'm so glad that, that in our historical, you know, uh, context of Christianity, that we had people who walked the earth that talked to us about how to love people. Who, who are some people that walked the earth? Who do you think I'm talking about that, that walked and ta- taught us how to love other people? Who, who did that? Well, well, Jesus said, yeah, we're in church. That's the obvious answer. But I'm talking about Mr. Rogers, okay? And, and Mr. Rogers um, is, is a great sense of that. Jesus is the normal answer, but I want to stretch it a little bit. Mr. Rogers. And, and Fred Rogers was, a, was a, a, an interesting individual. He was in church one Sunday, and he heard a gentleman sing. His name was Francois Clemens. And Mr. Rogers went over to Francois Clemens, and he said, Francois, I want you to be a part of my neighborhood. And he said, in fact, Francois, I want you to be a police officer on my show in my neighborhood. And Francois said, Mr. Mr. Rogers, he said, I can't do that. He said, I'm a black man, and when I grew up, uh, my, my family and my friends, we were taught not to have a good relationship with police officers. And he said, and I think that if you put a black man in a police officer's uniform in your neighborhood, you're going to have people who are not going to tune anymore to your show. And Mr. Rogers looked at Francois Clemens, and he said, Francois, this is bigger than you and me. This is greatly into this, and this is bigger than who we are. This is bigger than your issues, Francois. It's bigger than my issues. But, but we need to give people a chance to see God's bigger picture. And there's an episode where they roll this out. And I want to show you this video clip when Francois first appears as a police officer on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Let's watch this. I was just talking with my television friends and thinking about uh, many different ways of saying I love you. Singing is one of my ways of saying I love you. Oh, I know that. Do you have time to, uh, to give a song to my friend and me? I sure do. There are many ways to say I love you. There are many ways to say I care about you. Many ways, many ways, many ways to say I love you. There's the singing way to say I love you. There's the singing something someone really likes to hear. The singing way, the singing way, the singing way to say can say I love you, mm-hmm. hanging up your coat before you're asked to do it, drawing special pictures for the holidays, and making plays. You'll find many ways to say I love you. You'll find many ways to understand what love is. Many ways, many ways. Many ways to say I love you. 
proud of you, Francois. Oh, thank you, Fred. I like being a human being right here and now. Well, I guess I'm going to have to get back to work. Uh, I always like it whenever you have time to, to visit with us. Thank Can I help you, you here? Thank you. Isn't that awesome? You know, I don't, I don't know if you caught this, but his line at the end there, he said, I love being a human being right here and now. Did you catch that? And, and, and what we see here is that he later spoke in an interview and he said what really made him feel special, not only was Fred Rogers' invitation to be a part of his neighborhood where he could sing a song about love, but he said, you know, when he grew up, he said that there were parents who didn't want the white feet of their children in a pool with a child of color. And he said, to, to, to have my feet in Fred's pool with Fred's feet, and he said, and then he just blew my mind. He said, Fred reached down and grabbed the towel, and he dried my feet. And we see so much of this. I mean, isn't this the image of Jesus? And we think about this. In, in the community of faith, we're taught uh, to, to do these kinds of things for one another as we're being neighborly. And I think that, that whether Fred Rogers and Francois Clemens realized that they were being very prophetic that day. And we find it in, in uh, John chapter 13, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to, to leave the world and to go to the Father. And having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, Simon, son of Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. And Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, and that he came for God, and that he was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, he set aside his robe, and he put on an apron. And he poured water in a basin, and he began to wash the feet of his disciples, and he dried them with his apron. Now, I want you to think about that image for a second. Now, we saw, you know, a modern day or fairly modern day with Fred um, Rogers, but now we're looking at the biblical mandate. Now, think about it for a second. Jesus's issues, Jesus's challenges, Jesus's weightiness on him was extremely beyond anything we could comprehend. In fact, he finds himself in a place where, where literally the church is plotting against him. He's sitting at a table where his best friends, those closest to him, one is plotting to betray and kill him, and the other is already making up his mind that he is not going to come to his aid when he's in his greatest particular time of need. So the question becomes, when, we're, when we find ourselves in these instances, how can we see people as people when these kind of issues are looming over us? How can you, how can I, how can we see each other as people when we have these weighty issues that are over us? And, and I think this is found in John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning back to God. Jesus knew the mission. He knew what was important. He knew the big picture. He wasn't focusing on Judas's issues. He wasn't focusing on Peter's issues. He wasn't focusing on the issues and the uh, problems inside of that table, so to speak, because he saw the bigger picture. Jesus was not out for revenge. He was not out for hatred, but he knew that the next steps that he was to take would be a reflection 
of what it means to love your neighbor. Now, Jesus got to Simon Peter, and he said, uh, I need to do this for you. And Peter, Peter rebuked him, and Peter was like, you're not going to do that, Lord. I'm not going to have you as the Lord wash my feet. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you can't be a part of me unless you allow me to do this. And then Peter boldly says, then not just my feet, but my head, all of me. Wash all of me and, and make me pure again. And Jesus answered, as John records, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, because he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. But we read this story, we live this story, we hear this story, and we're reminded every time we're in the presence of this story, we're reminded that Judas is having his feet washed. And we understand the significance with that. You know, if you were Jesus, if I were Jesus, if, if, if Judas was at our table, would we see Judas as a person? Would we see him as people? Or would we see him as the enemy? And, and, and it, would it be hard to see Judas as a person? Absolutely it would be hard. But yet we see the Lord is saying, I love this man. And I'm going to do for him, knowing what he's going to do to me, I'm going to do for him that which is most important. You see, Jesus had to take what was in his head and move it from his head to his heart, but it can't just stop there. Because what we learn in John chapter 13 is he actually takes the basin and the towel. So, so it's not just like head, I need to wash their feet, heart, oh, I love them. He had to go from head to heart to hands, and he actually had to do it. And he performs this act of hospitality, this, this act of kindness, uh, two persons that are not really good to him at this particular point. So that's how, it's supposed to, that's how it's supposed to work. We're not just supposed to think about it. We're not just supposed to say, wow, our heart was fuzzily warmed and you know, I had that warm fuzzy about you today, but we're actually to do something about it. So we have to get it from our head to our hearts and our hands. And whenever we say, Lord, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to love my neighbor who's done that to me. I don't know how to love my neighbor for all the things that they are doing that I find totally annoying. Jesus said, yeah, you do. I'll help you. Pick up the basin and the towel, and I'll show you. When our youngest daughter moved into her home um, middle of last year, the seller was a, a woman in her 90s, and she had lived in this house for a little over 60 years. And I thought it was so awesome that uh, as our daughter and her family were moving in, uh, the seller asked the question, are there any children that are going to move into this house? And we thought that was an interesting question. Why, why would you ask that? And, uh, and she said, well, there haven't been any children living in this house for over 50 years. And we said, absolutely, there's going to be four children. And she was absolutely ecstatic there's going to be children living here again. The voices of children running through the house and the feet on the, on the floor and, and all of that, just the laughter of children. And she didn't know our daughter outside of just a transaction. But you know what she did? She left little gifts and treasures all around the house, coloring books and crayons and a wagon and little things for the kids to find and explore as they were moving into their home and I thought about that for a second. I thought, you know, here's a woman who was in her 90s who had, who had lived through some pretty trying times in our nation's history. Wouldn't you agree with that at 90? 
She lived through the civil rights movement. She lived through the whole you know, thing about dehumanization of people of color and, and all of those kind of things. And yet here, here this woman uh, was willing to uh, sell her home because she could have said no, willing to sell her home to a young mother with biracial children. And I thought about that and I thought, why in the world would she do that? Because she got the bigger picture. She saw what the bigger picture was. And that bigger picture was to be like Jesus and to be neighborly to others. I had a, a guy in one of my churches, in fact, it was the church that we planted many, many years ago. Uh, back, you've heard me tell the story, we were dropped in on 10 acres of land with a 45 strapped and a machete, go start a church, you know? So, um, and so, so we, we planted a church and the church is doing wonderfully still today. In fact, uh, Kay Lashbrook's nephew uh, is the pastor who came after me as the founding pastor, and, and her nephew is still the pastor of that church. And I remember how, um, you know, when you, when you plant a church, you, you meet all sorts of different kinds of people, and people are attracted to those kind of things for different reasons. And, and I remember this one gentleman, and, um, you know, he was real crusty, and, and uh, he was involved in another church, but, but his wife was excited about, you know, coming to worship in a movie theater. We actually worshiped in a movie theater for a couple of years before we built our first building. And uh, so he finally came, and he was crusty around the edges, personality-wise, and the thing that I could learn about uh, him was that, um, you know, he, he didn't talk very nicely about people who needed assistance in living. If someone was uh, a WIC recipient or welfare recipient or food stamps, he did not have nice things to say about that, especially if there were people of color. He did not have nice things to say about that. And uh, finally, we were in a uh, meeting one time, and we were brainstorming about how we could be a church to reach out in our community, and he just became so heated by the conversation, he finally said, if those people would just get a job, then they wouldn't have to live on welfare. And it kind of took us back, and it, well, it took me back, uh, back and, and maybe some of you, maybe some of you might agree with the statement, I don't know, I don't. And, and so we began to figure out how are we going to be a church to our community. So where this church was located was Interstate 4 actually separated from where we were from one location of this town to another. And on the left side of Interstate 4, the west side were the million dollar homes and our church was planted in that area. And on the east side of Interstate 4 in this area, uh, there were shotgun houses, dilapidated homes, roofs falling in, um, unattended, uh, unattended in, in lots of, of challenging areas. And we knew that the only way that we could be a church was to go on the other side of Interstate 4 and get to know our neighbors and not just know one group, but to know all of our neighbors. And so we ventured out and we, we, we found ourselves um, connecting with uh, Mother Weaver. And Mother Weaver had a women's outreach center in Sanford, Florida. And uh, this outreach center was located on 13th Street. Maybe some of you might be remembering 13th Street, Sanford. That's where George Zimmerman shot and killed Trayvon Martin on 13th Street. And uh, so we, we reached out, and, and this, um, this center was an awesome center, and, and it was a center that was uh, put together to deal with women in transition, women who'd been battered, beaten, um, uh, discredited by males in their lives who had children to give them a new start. And as we began to understand Mother Weaver's needs at that center, we realized that, that the buildings had not been painted in a long time. There was no place for the children to safely play, that the resource center was constantly out of products and things that they needed uh, to continue to run that 
in our little church at that time, just starting out, there was probably like about 100 of us at the time, we said, we're going to adopt the Women's Outreach Center of Sanford. And we did. So we repainted our buildings. We mowed the lawns on a regular basis. We built uh, play equipment and swing sets out in the back so the kids would have a safe place. We put fences up so that uh, the children would be safe and not wander off into busy roads. And we helped continuously with supplies to keep the outreach center going. Through that whole process, this gentleman I told you about at the beginning, I began to see his life change. No longer was he this bitter man that was out to get people on welfare and people of color, but, but I began to start to see a new person being crafted inside of him. His heart was changing. And then I began to discover that, 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 that his family of roots, his father was an alcoholic, and when his father started drinking, he would uh, have racial slurs, and he would pick on people that, that just were having difficulty in life. So he became a product of his home. So God said, Bob, you need to shepherd him, and you need to shepherd him quickly. And so I um, uh, helped him to see and to understand and to partner and to become a part of God's greater picture. And he became the greatest proponent of that ministry. And God changed his life. And he became the champion of the things of what that community needed. Why? because he ultimately saw God's bigger picture. He saw beyond himself. He didn't blame it on how he was raised or what he was taught. He got rid of all that junk and the logs were thrown behind him and he became a new person. So how do we get it from our head to our hearts to our hands? Again, in John's gospel, when he had finished washing their feet, Jesus put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, and you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for, for that is who I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should go wash one another's feet. So when I think about loving my neighbors myself, I think about how can I serve someone else? How can I take what's in my head from my heart to my hands? How can I love my neighbor as myself? And how can I make sure that my issues don't stand in the way? You know, our homework assignment this week is really easy. Last week, I think, the last couple of weeks, they haven't been that hard because we've been trying to get you to engage. This week, it's, an, it's another week of homework assignment. I hope that you're doing your homework. I really do. The way to really see the Holy Spirit work in your life is to not just hear teaching, but to absorb it and to live into it and to allow it to transform your life. So here's the homework assignment. I want you to walk through your neighborhood, and I want you to see, what, see your neighbors, and I want you to take it from your head to your heart to your hands. And I want you in the next week to find a way to do a random act of kindness for your neighbor. No strings attached. From your head to your heart to your hands. Jesus said, now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you need to go and do likewise. So let us take our basins and our towels. Let us go into our neighborhoods 
and let us find a way to wash our neighbor's feet.